Welcome back to Season 2 of The Ethers. In Episode 1, we took a look at the AAMC report that projects a physician shortage in the coming decade. For anesthesiology, that number is expected to be anywhere from 17 to 42,000, although that report does group anesthesiologists with several other specialties. While the exact number is not clear, we also discovered that the reality of these projections may be far more complex than just a simple range of numbers. For one thing, anesthesiology is a specialty already experiencing a couple unique and powerful changing forces. One is a debate over practice models and supervision rules, and the other is a rapid consolidation of anesthesia practices across the country. Each one of these trends is more than enough for one specialty to deal with at any given time. But anesthesiologists, CRNAs, and AAs are being faced with tough choices on both fronts. One is a crucially important debate over how anesthesia care should be managed in the clinical setting, and the other is how anesthesia professionals can run their businesses to maximize not only the health of their patients, but also the health of their practices. And in the midst of these changing forces, we are also faced with the potential crisis of having too few physician anesthesiologists to meet the healthcare demands in the U.S. But that isn't to say that these things have to be opposing forces. In fact, many people in the specialty see these forces as complementary challenges, meaning that finding solutions for one will make finding solutions for the others easier. Some experts we spoke with see these as purely positive connections, but some of them think that the market forces could lead to negative outcomes for the specialty, and more specifically, for the role of physician anesthesiologist. And that is what we want to focus on in this episode. How will these larger, specialty-specific trends shape the future of anesthesia care and this supposed physician shortage? Could all of these trends converge to become a compound crisis? Or could all of these trends help to find a solution for each other? We dig into all of that now on Anesthesiology News Presents The Etherist, Season 2, Episode 2, Models and Mergers. And we'll get to that after a quick word from our sponsors. Envision Healthcare is a leading national medical group of more than 27,000 clinicians that treat more than 35 million patients each year, and their strong presence in anesthesiology empowers clinical departments across the country to deliver high-quality care. In response to COVID-19, Envision continues to look to their anesthesiologists, CRNAs, and CAAs as critical members of their care team and mission to maintain America's healthcare safety net. To learn more about Envision Healthcare, Connect with them at ASA 20 Virtual Scientific Assembly on October 2nd through the 5th, or visit www.envisionhealth.net. At Massimo, improving patient outcomes is top priority. In response to blood shortages due to COVID-19, Massimo is offering licenses for rainbow non-invasive blood constituent monitoring, including total hemoglobin, SPHB, for rainbow-ready devices at no additional cost. SPHB provides real-time visibility to changes or lack of changes in hemoglobin between invasive blood draws and has been shown in multiple studies to help clinicians improve outcomes. Discover continuous hemoglobin concentration monitoring. Visit Massimo.com to learn more. At Anesthesiology News, we tend to keep our eyes on the clinical side of the specialty. So we are always happy to collaborate with experts who focus their energy 
on other areas, like the business of running an anesthesia practice. About a year ago, we connected with one of those experts to publish an article titled, Consolidation in the Anesthesia Services Market Continues with New Partnership Options, which was written by Kyle Daly, a senior analyst at Provident Healthcare Partners. Provident is a financial firm that helps companies with business mergers and acquisitions, specifically in the healthcare industry. And I had the chance to catch up with Kyle, as well as AJ Shaker, a vice president with Provident, to discuss in more detail how the business side of anesthesia care could alter the future of the specialty. So I'm just curious if, as you look at the field and the economic outlook of the industry of the specialty of anesthesiology, is this idea that there's a shortage coming something that is a big concern on the economic side? We've heard of a concern across the board, and it doesn't seem to be a real exact figure of what that shortage just may be. But this is Kyle Daly. I think from an economic perspective, you know, with the aging population, the innovation in surgical procedures and, you know, the proliferation of new anesthesia sites, there's a lot of um, demand for the for the specialty as a whole. And what that's done for the industry is seen heightened consolidation activity or steady transaction activity, meaning that mergers and partnerships have continued to be developed despite those concerns. And from an economic perspective, we really haven't seen too much of a, a downturn in overall valuation. Yeah, and I think just to, to echo Kyle's points as well. This is AJ Shaker. We haven't seen kind of the the shortage being a reason for valuations to change over time. And I think that the reason being is that uh, groups are, um, they're positioning themselves that the the larger we get, the more kind of capital and resources we have behind us. Uh, We can be kind of the the forerunner in terms of attracting, you know, top level talent um, out of residency programs because we're equipped to pay the the, uh, anesthesiologist well, we're equipped to offer them, you know, some unique incentives, whether that's uh, from a sign on bonus perspective or from kind of an equity share perspective that could be rewarding to them down the road. Yeah, and, and one of the things that you said that is interesting and it does come up a lot is the idea of a cost-effective way of providing care. So depending on who you ask, sometimes that just means more CRNAs. In the transactions you see, is there sort of a trend towards having more CRNA-heavy groups providing care? Or is it, do you still see a lot of transactions where it's a physician-only group that wants to just expand the number of physicians that it can have in-house? I think a lot of groups understand that there's going to be an increasing role for CRNAs going forward, especially as you think about uh, rising demand amidst lower numbers of anesthesiologists entering the, the job market, if you will. But at the same time, I think there's some kind of regional dynamics and practice level dynamics that make kind of a, an anesthesiologist only model, a, a very fruitful one and, and one that makes a lot of sense to acquire and partner with. So we've seen it kind of across the board where transactions have been with uh, both physician only groups, as well as groups that use more of a care team model. You know, they may have different economics at the end of the day for the practice, but what is a key consideration for um, any acquirer or investor is what the relationship looks like with the health system that they hold contracts with, what are kind of the uh, the needs of that health system in terms of addressing the, the patient volumes that they have um, and kind of the, the reputation of the group as kind of the, the first point that 
uh, is kind of most important. And then second is, you know, thinking about ways that the CRNA model makes sense in the, the short term or the long term. And um, I, I think the successful transactions are ones that come up with that joint strategy and, and thinking about a number of these variables uh, in, in order to figure out when it, it makes sense to utilize uh, CRNAs in an MD heavy model or uh, when not to at the end of the day. I think it becomes a little bit easier with those groups that are already familiar with the model and know how to leverage it for, for best practices. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, did you have... Did As AJ and Kyle explained, consolidation is one of the key drivers of many changes in the specialty. As smaller local and regional practices sell to larger companies, the business of anesthesiology changes in everything from physician lifestyle to hospital cost to practice models. And these changes can and do affect every corner of the specialty. And they could better prepare the specialty for a huge growth in demand. More on that after the break. Protecting brain health is critical before, during, and after surgery. Discover a more complete picture of the brain with Massimo Brain Monitoring Solutions. Sedline Brain Function Monitoring monitors the state of the brain under anesthesia through bilateral data acquisition and processing of EEG signals, while O3 Regional Oximetry offers continuous monitoring for regional hemoglobin oxygen saturation in all patient populations. Together, these two powerful monitoring technologies are designed to provide insight into the patient's brain activity, empowering you and your care team with critical information to help improve patient outcomes. Visit Massimo.com to learn more. Throughout the COVID-19 crisis, Envision Healthcare has stayed the course in supporting its clinicians and healthcare partners. And together, they are answering the call as America's leading national medical group. Envision has helped mobilize and redeploy more than 500 caregivers, including anesthesiology providers, to hotspots around the country, including New Jersey, New York, Texas, and Florida. Leveraging more than 60 years of experience, Envision continues to be a vital player in healthcare for today and tomorrow. Learn more about Envision Healthcare by visiting www.envisionhealth.net. So we've heard how anesthesiology as a profession is seeing a high volume of merging businesses. And those mergers are leading to more growth in the specialty, not less. As more opportunities increase for anesthesiologists throughout healthcare, the opportunity also increases for larger anesthesia practices that can muster the resources to capitalize on it. Some of that business consolidation is driven by venture capital groups outside of anesthesiology looking to take advantage of the hot market. But we also heard that anesthesiologists are gaining from the opportunities too both as shareholders and certainly as professionals working in the specialty. And one way anesthesia providers are enjoying those gains is in a very employee-friendly job market. In fact, the growth that is driving job opportunity and wages in the specialty is largely attributed to an evolving role for physician anesthesiologists in healthcare. And this is creating a new kind of demand that isn't mentioned in the AAMC report that foreshadows a future shortage. The demand mentioned there is based on an increase in patients within the established role of anesthesiologists. This new demand is based on a significant broadening of the role of anesthesiologists. To dig into this idea of increasing demands on the role for physician anesthesiologists, I spoke with Thomas Rogers, 
the Senior Vice President of Clinical Recruiting for Envision Physician Services, and Dr. Adam Bloomberg, an anesthesiologist and the Regional Medical Director for Envision Physician Services, as well as the Chief of Anesthesia at Memorial Healthcare System in Hollywood, Florida. Now, you may be thinking that the name Envision Physician Services sounds familiar on this show, and that's because they are also a sponsor for this season of The Etherist. But what you're about to hear is not another ad. Thomas and Dr. Bloomberg are experts in anesthesia hiring, staffing, and training from one of the leaders in the anesthesia services industry, so I knew that I wanted to talk to them about the business of anesthesia care on a larger scale. The first thing I wanted to ask is, have you seen, leading up to this crisis, an issue in anesthesia employment trends? Yes, there's no doubt. There's a limited supply, um, and, and that's not a new issue. That's not a new conversation, right? This is Thomas Rogers, Senior Vice President of Clinical Recruiting. And while, we're, while we have seen the conversation and some of the, the challenges shifting with COVID, to your point, um, some, of those, some of those challenges and opportunities have remained the same, and, and we've been working through as, a, as, a, as an industry and in healthcare to solve that. But uh, yeah, a limited supply not keeping up with the rate of increasing demand. You know, as, in, as, as we look at the countries, and this is regional and, and changes over time, but transitioning from fee-for-service to a value-based care model. That's a complex conversation, and there's a lot of pieces that need to be looked at and continue to evolve. And I've worked in both spaces, and I, and I can see a lot of value to the clinicians, to the patients, to the communities they serve in both models. And I think it's going to take a really focused effort over time to find the right balance. But it... it it creates an opportunity for us to reevaluate where we are, where we're going, and, and some solutions like APPs, and the CRNAs, the AAs, et cetera, for years have shown the incredible value that they can bring in both increasing access to care and team models while also having a positive impact on the cost of care. And I'll stop there and, and Dr. Bloomberg, hear your thoughts, sir. So thanks, Thomas. Um, great, great comments and great answer and I would agree with everything you're saying. It's it's an interesting perspective. I think this COVID pandemic may have publicly, you know, peeled the onion um, so we can actually see visibly and our colleagues see more visibly the value that anesthesiologists and the anesthesia teams play to their hospital partners. I can tell you that the field of anesthesia has changed since I started, you know, 12 years ago. In the past, the anesthesiologists providing great clinical care intraoperatively. And yeah, you took care of the patients in pre-op and PACU, but it was your clinical care that you were judged on. In, in residency, I remember a, a mentor was telling me that the best anesthesiologists are the ones that the hospital don't hear from. You provide great care, you don't have complaints, and you don't have complications. And in 12 years from now, I'm gonna tell you that I disagree completely from that, and that's how it's changed. The best anesthesiologists are the ones that the hospital knows by name, because they're the ones sitting in the committees, they're the ones in front of the hospital and the surgeons and working on ways to, to help provide better clinical care as a team. And over the past 12 years, I think hospital partners have realized that an anesthesiologist plays a role on every committee in the hospital. You sound optimistic to me about the specialty. Um, what do you see happening in terms of what an anesthesiologist is going to be doing in 10 or 15 years? So you hit the nail and I am excited. Um, like I said, in the past, 12 to 16 years since I've been in anesthesia, it's changed 180 degrees. And the next, you know, 12 to 16 years, if I just double that, 
it's exciting, right? Because it's not just going to be that intraoperative care. It's going to be the whole perioperative spectrum, right? So you're going to have patients that are booked 30 days out for knee replacement, right? So in the past, the anesthesia department wasn't involved in that patient until the patient got to the preoperative bay. Now that patient is going to have care with an anesthesia department that 30 days out, whether it be pre-optimization, you know, from nutrition, from prehabilitation exercising, from medicine management, from anemia management. Anesthesia is going to have that ability to be the true perioperative physician working with the surgeons and the hospitalists and the internal medicine docs. Uh, you're seeing the silos being broken down every day. You know, how, how do you see anesthesiologists and the role that they play in medicine changing in the next 10 or 12 years? Yeah, that's... And that's it's a big, it's a big question, right? And there's a, there's a lot there. And, and to Dr. Bloomberg's point, um, I absolutely see the continued growth need and demand of, of the specialty. You know, the scope of practice has been expanding, which, which is great for the patients. It's great for the, the communities and, you know, the integrated medical groups. Uh, I, we've seen a lot of that over the last few years. I, I think we will continue to see uh, consolidation because as we as we pick up the efficiencies and the alignments from uh, medical groups, large medical groups, then you see improved outcomes. You see uh, positive impacts to the access and cost of care as the clinicians across specialties within that medical group are able to lean on each other and support one another. There's just a tremendous value there. Dr. Bloomberg highlighted a unique point there about the factors spreading anesthesiologists thin in the shifting healthcare business landscape. Anesthesiologists are expected to do more, not just by seeing more patients, but by undertaking more roles in the clinical setting. The strain placed on anesthesiologists is not all about seeing more cases or supervising more CRNAs or AAs, though. Those play a factor, but another part of that equation is that anesthesiologists have done a great job of showing their value across the hospital, whether they're in the committees or in the clinical setting. The consolidation of practices in the specialty seems to be working toward improving anesthesiology practice efficiency. And looking at the past eight months, when some anesthesiologists were thrust onto the front lines of managing a pandemic, while others were furloughed, it is easy to see the attraction to merging practices in the effort to reach more hospitals and more areas of healthcare. During the early weeks of the pandemic, Envision was able to relocate hundreds of anesthesiologists and CRNAs to meet the needs of their hospital partners, a move that would be nearly impossible for any local or even regional anesthesia group. And these are ideas widely held throughout the industry, from investment bankers, to locum tenens companies, to major physician groups like Envision Physician Services, and NAPA. And James Pruden had the chance to discuss all of this with Dr. John D. Capua, an anesthesiologist and the CEO of NAPA, the North American Partners in Anesthesia. So let's talk a little bit about the job of being an anesthesiologist, and also about hiring. Is it difficult to hire anesthesiologists? We're in a shortage, and we've been in a shortage for quite some time. It's no longer if, it's how deep. Um, and evidence that we're in a shortage uh, is, is, is pretty obvious. One is, if you just look at the competition for providers, and one good measure of competition for providers is, in the supply-demand world, if there are too few providers for the number of positions, you're going to see salary increases. And we're seeing dramatic increases in salaries for all anesthesia providers throughout the country. And if you look at just the number of vacancy positions, we are in a shortage, principally by the expansion of coverage. We are being asked to service many more locations than ever before. 
in many of our institutions now, 50% of our care is out of the operating room in places like interventional radiology, the GI suite, cardiology, the cath lab, let alone ambulatory surgery centers. And what we're seeing in this country is an investment in medical innovation in these minimally invasive uh, locations, but we're not having a subsequent decrease in the number of main operating rooms. And so we are doubling in effect in a very simplistic term, doubling the number of locations we have to service we're not doubling the number of providers being trained. Um, and then I have to say that uh, we went into COVID short. We will leave COVID more short because I definitely know of a number of healthcare providers, both doctors, nurses, anesthesia providers, perioperative nurses, who have made decisions during COVID that they're going to actually take a couple of years early retirement. And this has been a very, very difficult time. And um, if they can, they're going to do it now. And so I think we're actually going to leave COVID more short than we started. So I call it a critical shortage, not if. Okay. And what we have also is, of course, CRNAs. So um, one of the things that's happened, I believe, is that we are getting more CRNAs who are answering the anesthesiology needs, certainly with, in a lot of ways, independently. Are CRNAs in shortage? Yeah. You see, I answer the question of, we do not have globally enough anesthesia providers because throughout this country we have all kinds of versions of md only crna only and a wide uh middle zone of care, various care team modeling uh, and so the answer is the collective is not enough to meet society's needs and that's a problem and, and and you need to consider when you're in what i call a critical shortage to start considering all available options in order to meet community demands I mean, we're literally talking about access to life-changing procedures. And I know of institutions who, uh, because they can't schedule cases because they don't have anesthesia, they end up closing. And we're at that level. So that will continue to get worse. So we have to be very open-minded about how to solve the problem. And I would say you pull at every thread available uh, with significant leadership uh, to assure safety and optimization. Most of the people we spoke with on the business side agree that we are already seeing the effects of a provider shortage among the ranks of physician anesthesiologists and CRNAs. And one unique reason for that growing demand is because anesthesia providers have proven time and again to be exceptional team players in all areas of the hospital, not just at the head of the bed. So are these business trends good for the specialty? Will they lead to more answers or just more problems down the road? In other words, as James asked Dr. D. Capua, how should we feel about the trend of more consolidation in the field? Is that a good thing, bad thing, or a neutral thing as far as your experience? Well, I would say yes. In my experience, consolidating providers enables um, leaders to step up and support non-clinical time. It allows you to innovate and develop solutions to problems that as small groups we could never achieve. I believe in the power of scale. I believe in being able to be a larger company with deeper resources that can think outside the box and take on projects that up to that point were impossible. I mean, when I started and I had 30 partners, I could dream of the things that we do today, but today we actually can execute on those things. So to the extent that capital, wherever it comes from, enables physicians and nurses to come together into larger entities to be more effective and create greater value, the answer is absolutely a resounding yes. Now, I believe that in healthcare, we can never take our, our eye off of what the product is, and the product mm -hmm. is medicine. And so as, in, as clinicians consolidate, 
My only warning would be is that clinicians remain integral in the leadership of that entity. And we in Napa have that. Uh, I sit as the CEO, it's very purposeful because we believe that the product is anesthesia. We make decisions from both perspectives because doctors and nurses go to school to learn medicine, but they don't get trained in business and people in business do not learn medicine. Each have very important perspectives. And so we force the function of having both sit at the table. And if you do it that way, then how you consolidate becomes less important as long as you do consolidate and create the value that society is demanding. I like that answer. That's a, that's a succinct way to put it. So anesthesiology is already experiencing a shortage of providers, according to some leaders familiar with the business side of anesthesia. And it is seeing a sustained consolidation of independent business practices that is strengthening certain areas of the specialty, including hiring. And it is a field right in the middle of a tug of war over scope of practice rights. As I said at the top of the episode, these major trends are already shaping the specialty. But this debate is probably more ubiquitous than the rest when it comes to talking about the future of anesthesia care. But how will practice models affect any potential provider shortage? Do practice models and business mergers really go hand in glove? To find out the answer, we go back to talk to the heads of some of the key societies in this debate. Dr. Mary Dale Peterson, the president of ASA, and Randy Moore, CRNA, and the CEO of the AANA. Is there kind of an effort for all of the, the stakeholders, the CRNAs, the CAs, and, and, uh, and physician anesthesiologists to collaborate, to kind of come up with some sort of joint effort to say, all right, we're going to meet the demands that are coming together? Or is it a little bit more fractured than that? Well, I think it's some of both, Michael. So we've got, I think, a minority of fairly militant CRNAs that just want independent practice. Um, the ASA's um, policy is we, we believe every person going into surgery deserves physician-led care. Now, that can take many different constructs, but uh, certainly we feel that um, having a physician anesthesiologist in the vicinity um, is safer care. Um, you know, if problems arise, then that person is available to help with rescue. And so, you know, in more complex cases, obviously the anesthesiologist needs to be intimately involved in all aspects of the care. But, you know, there are probably ways of doing sedation procedures or things like colonoscopies where, you know, the numbers could be stretched some in a safe degree depending on the uh, comorbidities of the patients you're dealing with. So I think that groups look at this all the time, you know, whether it's an academic medical center or large um, uh, anesthesia group, they're constantly, you know, looking at their schedules and their workforce and devising those to try to uh, maximize their workforce so that they can provide safe care. So I think on the ground that's happening every day because most of the models, 80 plus percent is in the anesthesia care team. And so, you know, they have employees that are anesthesiologists and CRNAs and AAs, and they're all working in the same group together. Um, so I, I think those decisions are going on. And um, I, I think they're challenging decisions that people make. The ASA feels that the future of the specialty must include physician-led care. 
but the needs and demands will admittedly dictate reality here. Dr. Peterson knows that business models will continue to change to optimize care and reimbursement as well. And that trend could lead to more collaborative practice models that are designed to be more responsive to changes in demand, which would also mean that increased demand might force practices to switch to much more progressive practice models to keep up. In fact, the leadership at the ANA sees this development as an inevitability. And, and so what does that specifically look like? In, in those times that you've made those changes, you switch to these new practice models. How does the day-to-day work of a CRNA change with that, that change from the older to the newer system? Sure. So if you look at you know, the most restrictive kind of models where it's one anesthesiologist medically directing sometimes even one CRNA, but you know, two, maybe three, maybe four. Again, this is Randy Moore. In addition to being a CRNA and the CEO of the AANA since 2017, he also received his Doctor of Nursing Practice from the University of Alabama, and he is a retired major in the U.S. Army Reserve, where he served for over 22 years as a combat medic. And that model, which is really predicated on billing, right? So what they're trying to do in that model is maximize the billing by billing medical direction. And to bill medical direction, there's certain rules you have to follow, and uh, in that model, it's no more than four nurse anesthetists can be medically directed by one anesthesiologist. So it creates, at baseline, this inefficiency, right, where you know CRNAs have to wait for an anesthesiologist to check certain boxes within the mil- medical direction billing criteria. And that baseline, already inefficiency exists. And the nurse anesthetists are not being fully leveraged. Their skill sets aren't being fully leveraged. And the anesthesiologists are running around checking boxes. It doesn't make any sense. You see that a lot still in this country, shockingly. The the brave new world, the future is, and it's already here, is more collaborative models, where if there are anesthesiologists and nurse anesthetists working together, they're not running around checking boxes to ensure that they maximize their billing. They're using a practice model that already maximizes the billing, right? So you have nurse anesthetists practicing to the top of their license. You have anesthesiologists serving as perioperative consultants, as collaborative partners, not box checkers. So the nurse anesthetist, you know, will be obviously highly involved in doing the pre-anesthesia evaluation. He or she takes a patient to the room. If it's surgical procedure to put them to sleep. The anesthesiologist may or may not be in the room. They're they're available for consultation. And it really does increase the efficiency and the effectiveness and the cost effectiveness of the whole anesthesia care team. And so you could have a model in which there'd be one anesthesiologist for six or eight or 10 or 12 nurse anesthetists. And in that model, the anesthesiologist, again, is not running around checking boxes. She or he is running around serving as a perioperative consultant. Uh, and that is where they're ideally positioned in healthcare today and tomorrow. Even Dr. Peterson sees this trend of hiring more CRNAs to answer demand in various practices across the country. We heard in episode one from Mr. Moore that he thinks we need roughly 10% more anesthesia providers to cover the healthcare demands across the United States today. And the pressure on the specialty from the provider shortage is going to push us into more CRNA-heavy team models. It is one clear example of how these forces are combining to drive change in the specialty. So I'm curious, you say there's a 10% supply and demand imbalance. How, how does that 
10% breakdown. The caveat to that is that supply demand imbalance that we're talking about here is predicated on the current staffing models in, in the way that CRNAs and anesthesiologists work together in the current models, right? So we talk a lot about the anesthesia care team and in some uh, instances, there is one anesthesiologist medically directing one or two or three CRNAs. In that paradigm, it's clear that there's inefficiency that results from that, and that exacerbates an already existing supply-demand imbalance. So we're talking about supply-demand imbalance, but it's important to, to quantify and understand the impact of how some of these care team models are contributing to that. So there's that. And I think it's a really important consideration. And it's also the reason why we're seeing a lot of practices all across the United States moving away from the restrictive models. You know, one anesthesiologist medically directing one or two or three or even four CRNAs to more of a collaborative model. Uh, And that's a win-win, right? It's a a win for the practices because they're gaining efficiency or achieving cost savings, and they're able to spread their anesthesia provider footprint out more effectively and more efficiently. Another aspect to the conversation on practice models is the potential for anesthesiologist assistants to play more of a role. Currently, AAs only practice in 14 states, plus the District of Columbia and the U.S. Territory, Guam. They are also able to practice by way of physician delegation in Michigan and Texas. Needless to say, they are limited by the laws in most states. That fact hasn't stopped them from playing a growing role in providing anesthesia care in places where they can practice, though. And according to the leadership in the Quad A, the American Academy of Anesthesiologist Assistants, the profession is on the rise. But can AAs help contribute to the preparation for a pending shortage in anesthesiology? Well, I spoke with two CAAs, Timothy Goodridge and Greg Mastropolo, the current president of the Quad A. How has the field of anesthesiology been changing in the time that you have been practicing? I think the field of anesthesiology is recognizing more so uh, the value of team-based care. This is Greg Mastropolo. I think we're seeing that from ASA. You know, obviously... That is the area where certified anesthesiologist assistants come in, and we are focused on the idea that that is actually, in our opinion, the best approach is the team-based approach. I think you're seeing the world over, uh, people are realizing that healthcare is becoming more and more complicated, and when things become more and more complicated, uh, you, you find that Um, It takes teams in order to deliver the best outcomes. Individuals kind of deliver stuff, but teams can deliver outcomes. And since we're starting to look to ACOs and other models of payment where people are focused on outcomes, I, I definitely think that the trend that I see is that physician anesthesiologists and the physician led anesthesia care team and the team based approach seem to be becoming more and more prevalent. Well, in in my past 20 years, I've seen the locations where we provide anesthesia services increase. Uh, This is Timothy Goodridge. Because we're going to uh, offices, providing office-based anesthesia, uh, going to the cath lab, going up to the ICU, 
going on uh, ambulatory surgery centers, GI centers. The locations that are non-traditional OR locations have increased such that the uh, the manpower, uh, the workforce load is is needing to address that, and and that's where we are with the with trying to address the hiring of anesthesia providers. The Quad A is a smaller society in the world of anesthesiology, but its leadership and members are eager to become more of a factor in providing care in as many locations as possible in the U.S. While increasing the number of CAs might not directly impact the provider shortage issues, it will certainly have an effect on the delivery of care, as Greg mentioned. But before we can assess the real benefit of having CAs contribute more on the anesthesia team, they will have to gain the rights to work more broadly throughout the country. In our profession, one of the biggest challenges we face for our members, uh, or, or me as the president of the professional organization, is many of them want to return home to the places they grew up and care for people in their own communities. And really, during this public health emergency, really drives that home because I'm sitting right here in New York and I can't even help in the local hospital other than a volunteer. I, I guess I could do that. But even that, uh, the lack of recognition of the skill set that I possess may lead to difficult situations, even from a volunteer standpoint. The business pressures to grow and meet demand in healthcare will likely push the specialty to adopt more CRNA-heavy models, as Randy said. It will likely also increase the responsibilities of physician anesthesiologists in the clinical setting. And in response to those dynamics, the leadership of the Quad A and the ASA would like to see the emergence of CAAs as an additional answer to these changes. Is that something that the ASA and, and anesthesiology groups around the country kind of want to, to push? Would it be beneficial to see sort of a nationwide availability of CAs to, to help out and assist on these teams? I definitely think so. And I think that in the VA, they, they really have the AAs in the wrong classification, the GS classification. And that should just be fixed. I mean, they, they should be on, on a par, you know, with whatever the pay scale is for the CRNAs. Um, I'm in Texas, and so we have complete delegatory authority um, for uh, AAs, and a couple of other states have that. But, um, you know, in our large groups, they, they work very well, you know, with, you know, the physicians and the CRNAs. And I, I do think it's an added workforce so um, we just need to do more education, I think, for people to realize the value of, of AAs that, that they can bring. And I, I do think it would be helpful if more states um, opened up to using AAs. All three professions, physicians, CRNAs, and CAs, want to be able to practice medicine to the level of their experience and training and licensing. How those professions work together in the future will dramatically shape how prepared the specialty is to deal with future healthcare demand. It will also play a big role in how anesthesia practices are run and organized, just as the business of anesthesia will shape which professions take on larger roles in managing patient care. 
Here's one parting thought on this large and complicated conversation from Dr. Karen Seibert, who we already heard from in episode one. Here's the real question. When I work solo in my academic practice and when I've been in private practice in the past, I'm still doing a huge number of tasks that are nowhere near the top of my license. Changing suction canisters, drawing up and diluting antibiotics before they're given, things that are not physician tasks. So when I've written before about Christensen and the disruptive innovation model, the question I keep asking is why do we keep saying that anesthesiology is such a mix of both very unskilled tasks as well as as the highest level of decision-making. Does this make sense in terms of a model? You look at the way an intensive care unit runs and you have an intensivist leading the entire unit, which could be 20 or 30 patients with different levels of nurse practitioners or residents and fellows, depending on you know, whether it's an academic center or a private center, physician assistants, ICU nurses, pharmacists, you know, and one physician in charge of this whole unit. And we're saying that one anesthesiologist can only supervise four nurse anesthetists, which is what makes the model for anesthesia care really very, very inefficient. Christensen divides a lot of what physicians do as a solution shop where some of the decision-making is so complex that it really requires the person with the highest level of care. But that's not really the way it works in anesthesiology. We're doing an awful lot of stuff that is nowhere near the highest level of decision-making. Where I think the specialty needs to go if it's going to survive is somehow break apart those regulations and say, look, there's no reason why we can't supervise an RN to watch monitors. I mean, I can watch the two operating rooms that I'm supervising with two residents in them on the computer in my office. And frequently, I send them messages and say, do this. And they do it. (laughs) So, but... If you have people who are trained and you have the ability to monitor remotely, this really changes the equation. Practice models, care team models, business models. There's a lot more to worry about in the world of anesthesia care than a physician shortage that may be 10 years away. We heard from several experts about how the business of anesthesia care and the growth of the specialty within healthcare is already having an outsized effect on the future of the specialty. It might be that in 10 years, we'll have figured out how to best manage an anesthesia care team, complete with physicians, CRNAs, and CAs handling well-defined responsibilities in concert. It might be that anesthesia practices will merge and grow into well-run organizations that perfectly employ these new models to maximize patient care across healthcare systems all over the U.S., It might be that as these changing forces converge, the specialty has no other choice but to change too. Thank you for listening. And if you are enjoying this season of The Etherist so far, please subscribe and consider giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. And if you really like what you're hearing, share us with your colleagues too. We would really appreciate it. Until next time, I'm Michael DePoe Wilson, and this is 
The Etherist. This season of The Etherist was created by Michael Depoe Wilson, your host, along with James Pruden. It was edited by Ken Christensen. The Etherist theme music was created by David Cullen and Andrew Russell. All other music in this episode was created by Blue Dot Sessions. Richard Tordo, Justin Kaback, Blake Dennis, Martin Barbieri, Kwangi Chung, Sophia Lee, Danielle DePoe Wilson, Betty Zong, and Kristen Janicone all contributed greatly to the making of the Etherist. And a special thanks to the sponsors of the show, Massimo and Envision Physician Services. Thanks for listening. <laughs>